Hello and welcome to PFF Wire. I am Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon? I'm dry, I'm warm, I'm out of the MetLife elements. I just watched an epic showdown between Mike White and Trevor Simeon. How could I not be thriving on this Monday morning? Uh, yeah, so so what was the experience like? You got to watch, a, as you mentioned, a showdown between Trevor Simeon and Mike White. What was the atmosphere like in, Met, in MetLife Stadium minutes before the game when people were anticipating whether Trevor Simeon or Nathan Peterman was going to start? So true story, as we're walking in, there were several Mike White chants breaking up before the game even kicked off, and they continued throughout the afternoon. And then there's some Bears fans countered with a Peter Min, Peter Min chant. And then we get in there, and I see, I look in the field, and we're sitting behind the Bears bench, and Simeon is throwing the ball. Said he had an oblique injury. I guess he played through it because he's a warrior. You know, as we know, Trevor Simeon can battle through anything. Had a beautiful touchdown pass that hit DJ Reed in the back, but somehow Byron Pringle caught it uh, in the end zone. But no, all jokes aside, Jets fans were chanting for Mike White throughout the entire game. He did play well, did not push the ball downfield really at all, but didn't need to. That's the whole thing. This defense is good enough, and the playmakers like Garrett Wilson, his second touchdown, took it 30 yards to the house after the catch, had to change direction, and still just beat every Bears defender. Granted, that was the play Eddie Jackson got hurt, but nevertheless, just get it to the playmakers and let them go to work. That's all they needed Zach Wilson to do. He can't really do it. Mike White can do that at least. Yeah, I forgot if I said this on the show or after the show, before the show, but like in replacing Zach Wilson with Mike White, I think that Mike White gives you the higher floor because Zach Wilson can just be so bad out there on the field at times. You know, a few weeks ago when he was throwing the ball to Devin McCourty on every other snap, it seemed like. But then he also actually probably gives you a higher ceiling as well, at least in the interim. I know like a, in a one-game basis because Zach Wilson has never done what Mike White did yesterday, throwing for you know, 300 yards, three touchdown passes, no interceptions, no mistakes. I know he's had other you know big yardage games, but I mean, clearly Zach Wilson, there's a reason why he was drafted number two overall. In the scope of his career, he's got higher upside than Mike White. And we saw this a little bit from Mike White last year, too, where he had one really big game and then obviously uh, petered off a little bit there. But, um, yeah, I think that it certainly gave Jets fans some hope there. And, you know, after hearing the Mike White chants while Zach Wilson's there on the sideline with his hood up, I just I can't imagine going back to Zach Wilson until Mike White really falters out there. I don't think you can. I think you lose the locker room. I get all the arguments. And again, Mike White didn't like blow up the, you know, didn't shock the world yesterday with what he did. Over the last five weeks, the Bears are dead last in points per drive, touchdown percentage on opposing drives, yards per play allowed, the completion rate allowed, they're 31st, sack rate dead last, yards per attempt allowed dead last. They're the worst defense in the NFL. And so for Wilson, this is what always stuck out to me. It was the most perfect opportunity for a get right game for him and they still didn't think he deserved to have it for both on field and i think some off field reasons but yeah you can't go away from mike white i mean elijah moore scored his first touchdown of the season he's probably ecstatic about that he just he, he was early he was on time he was in rhythm he got the ball out quickly and that is all they need to do because this deep this jets defense we're joking about simeon he had a good first quarter there was a, a pass interference on Sauce Gardner on Chase Claypool that got them into scoring range, and they could have capitalized again on that, but with the field goal. But then as soon as the Jets defense settled in, they just – I mean, the Bears could do nothing on offense. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, I did uh, reach out to one of my pro scouting buddies, said, like, Mike White's not real, is he? And he said, 
Oh, no, started the year third string for a reason. So, um, you know, Jets fans certainly can enjoy Mike White while he lasts. Certainly don't expect to go into next season with Mike White as your starting quarterback unless something truly crazy happens over the last uh, final few weeks of the season here. But, I mean, the Jets are right back in there in playoff contention after a win this week, and we'll see what they can do here moving forward. But, as you mentioned, they do certainly have an elite defense, uh, so they just kind of have to survive on offense a little bit there. Uh, one piece of news for the Jets, Michael Carter has a low ankle sprain, so uh, it doesn't seem to be a long-term issue for him. And one bit of surprise there was that James Robinson was a healthy scratch in that game. Uh, that that trade not going great for the Jets so far, but if Michael Carter can't you know, be back for this week or in the next couple of weeks, then they do at least still have James Robinson from their bench. Let's get into our first segment here, fresh off the wire. Aaron Rodgers dealing with rib injury, a side injury. He went in for x-rays, didn't return to the game, uh, was you know out there without a uniform on. And I think the biggest piece of news from that Packers-Eagles game, other than the fact that the Packers kept it close, was that Jordan Love didn't look like a complete disaster out there like he did last, last year and his start against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, granted, it's only you know one quarter of one game against a team that was up relatively big, so I'm not sure how much you can actually fully judge Jordan Love's performance, but I certainly know that our, our boss, Chris Collinsworth, was really enjoying his performance out there. Yeah, it was just about 10 dropbacks, but I think he looked different than if you go back and watch that Chiefs game he played in last season. We have heard a lot of things coming out of camp and coming from teammates. And yes, as always, the caveat of maybe they're just kind of gassing up their their teammate and being. But, you know, they said he looks like a starter. He looks like the game has slowed down a lot for him. I think if you're the Packers, you have to take advantage of this runway because his fifth year option decision is due after this season. You have no evidence right now besides practice to make that determination. We've seen guys like a Matt Flynn, like a, you know, a Case Keenum take a one season or half a season, Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans and five starts and turn that into a very legitimate contract elsewhere as a free agent or just do enough and show you enough that you then feel comfortable maybe committing 25 to 30 million fully guaranteed dollars for 2024. It would be for Jordan Love. Again, that's we're very early on that. You know, maybe he doesn't show enough in this trial period, but the Packers season is over. Rodgers has all the leverage in the world right now to maybe force his way out or push his way out of uh, Green Bay. So take the time, get some leverage of your own, get a good opportunity to view him as a potential starter going forward, or if you want to make a move elsewhere and figure out quarterback nevertheless. But I think you've got to play Jordan Love the rest of the way. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of, they get the Chicago Bears next, so a good opportunity for him to put up some more points again. Yeah, definitely. I believe that um, Aaron Rodgers did say say after the game that he wants to keep playing until the Packers are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Um, you know, we'll see what the Packers actually decide to do there because obviously, yeah, you make some good points there that you'd like to see what you have in Jordan Love. Jordan Love obviously would like to play to see if he can turn this into um, a contract extension or a trade or whatever it would be, uh, wherever whatever his next step is here in his career. And I don't think that you can judge the future at your quarterback position on only one quarter here moving forward. So whether they wait until they're actually mathematically eliminated or whether they go with Jordan Love from here on out, it uh, does add a little bit of excitement to the Packers season. And I mean, honestly, I don't know. I have no idea what happens with Aaron Rodgers next season. I don't think anyone really knows uh, what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers next season. But yeah, there's the possibility that he could be traded. There's the possibility that he could keep playing for the Packers. There's obviously the possibility that he could still retire. I will say that 
you know, Christian Watson's performance over the last few weeks could possibly encourage Aaron Rodgers to return. We'll see what Romeo Dobbs looks like when he comes back from the high ankle sprain. But, I mean, if they can develop some chemistry here over the last few weeks of the season, then at least you have something to build on, uh, whether that's Aaron, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love heading into 2023. Look, Rodgers had some great plays. His touchdown throw to Randall Cobb was an absolute laser over the middle. He had a bunch of really nice plays. But if it is that midsection of his, he torques his body so much. Yeah. It's how he's able to kind of whip the ball out. Not His feet aren't always set, but he can still generate so much velocity and torque. And I think that is working strongly against him with this injury. And then, of course, the broken thumb he already had. So I get that he wants to play through it. He's obviously played through a lot of major injuries over the course of his career. And I'm sure he will push to play. But the season's just it's pretty much lost at this point. And I think, honestly, Green Bay also needs to start. Look, they've, they've made their relationship more amicable. It looks to be in a much better place. But you know what? Go on the offensive and, and start thinking right. of yourself and not letting Rodgers kind of dictate moves in Green Bay as he has, which he deserved with back-to-back MVPs. But now it's your turn to kind of, you know, take the strong hand back, you know, towards the organization's direction. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into some other news from the weekend. Jamar Chase actually expected back week 13 now against the Kansas City Chiefs. That would be huge for the Bengals. I know Joe Burrow said last week he expected Jamar Chase uh, to be back in week 12. That did not happen. Bengals still won that game. Um, But the Bengals are are one of those few teams right now that actually ranks top 10 in EPA per play and EPA per play against. I know they've got some issues at cornerback, but um, they're, they're looking fairly legit here down the stretch. They are, and I think the defense is going to show some issues against a team like Kansas City. Obviously, every defense shows issues uh, against Kansas City. The Niners haven't given up a second-half point since they played Kansas City in Week 7. Uh, and in that game, they gave up 21 points in the, in the, in the, in the second half. So I think we're going to see it. I think Shadobi Wuzier's loss has been massive, but when you go up against a team like Tennessee that has the second-fewest passing yards to wide receivers in the NFL, maybe it doesn't show itself as much. DJ Reader being back is huge, but the Chiefs have a great interior offensive line. So we will see. And I think the only way they can keep up is by scoring. And with Jamar Chase back in this game, I don't think we learned anything from Chiefs Rams. I'm not sure, you know, if Andy Reid even like tried to show some things right. and do some things. Like it was just, hey, give it to Pacheco, keep it simple, and we'll move on to next week in a big, big matchup. Obviously, trying to avenge that playoff loss. But this Chiefs defense, look, Van Jefferson had a nice touchdown. They moved the ball fairly well. Bryce Perkins did at times in that game. Uh, you know, it's. I, I think the over 51.5 is, is, a, is a nice play already. I think both offenses are just a lot better than both defenses right now. Yeah, certainly it looks that way. Uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 5-6, first place in, in the NFC South. But Tristan Wirfs now banged up out three to four weeks. I mean, I think that we're all assuming that the Buccaneers are going to still win that division. Um, but, I mean, things are still close here at this point with, with what is it, five weeks to go left in the season, something like that. Um, it's it certainly, I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a tough injury for them to withstand for even three to four weeks. Massive. I, I don't know if sure people realize how good Wirfs has been. He didn't allow pressure for a, re- a run of like 400 snaps, not a sack. Like he had a lot of pressure over, I want to say a seven or eight game stretch during one part of this season. He's a top five graded tackle for us. He's above 80 in both facets, as good as it gets. And when Brady loses offensive linemen, like we saw to start the year yeah. when the interior was turning over so much, it's, it's a huge problem. It doesn't matter if the weapons are healthy, if he can't have the time in the pocket or the confidence to stand in there and step up, it's going to cause him issues so donovan smith also on the left side 
got kind of abused in this game by Miles Garrett. Again, everyone does, but was our lowest graded tackle in the entire NFL this season in terms of or this, this week uh, in terms of pass protection. He's a good player, but it's a massive loss. They can't afford any more of these losses. Antoine Winfield got dinged up at the end of that game as well on the Njoku touchdown, or maybe a little bit before that. They're yeah, they're gonna. I think they're gonna make the playoffs, but they are gonna be a bad uh, for a team hosting a playoff game against an NFC team. They're gonna be a bad host of a playoff game. I mean, obviously, it's due to the situation that they're in, five and six atop the AFC South and the NFC South. But I mean, like, it would help if there was some other team in that division that looked like it could pose somewhat of a threat uh, to the Buccaneers. But I just, I really can't see the Falcons, Saints. Or, or or Panthers making a run at this. Um, I'm looking at uh, our right now. The we have the Buccaneers with a 75 percent chance of making the playoffs. Um, and yeah, the next up in that division, Saints are eight percent, uh, Falcons at 15 percent, Panthers at eight percent. So I mean, yeah, it's certainly looking that way that the Buccaneers are, are going to make the playoffs here, but. Um, they have the 23rd most difficult remaining schedule. That certainly helps them. They should be able to compile some wins coming up here. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, that's a really bad team that's going to be heading into the playoffs. A strange situation this weekend with Odell Beckham Jr. on Sunday. Kicked off a flight in Miami heading to Los Angeles. Um, apparently, they couldn't wake him up to get his seatbelt on. I can't really foresee this being an issue for him signing with a team or anything like that but just a really strange piece of news to come out on sunday while the rest of the nfl games are happening and while everyone's talking up odell beckham jr's future you know free agency tour for this to pop up i think his land in dallas might make more sense now than any forget all the football who is better at keeping 12 months of stories going than Jerry Jones and Odell Beckham Jr.? There's always something going on. You're always keeping tabs on them. They're walking content machines. Uh, yeah, it sounds like the report it, The report was it's not going to impact his free agency at all. I know some Giants players or former players were posting on Instagram and stuff like that that they think it's almost a lock. He, he joins the Giants again, which seems like kind of a weird decision, at least from my perspective. Yeah. But nevertheless... I'm excited to talk about him joining a team. I think it is going to make a big impact down the stretch here. That Dallas offense is humming the last couple of weeks, though. Yeah, definitely. It, the Giants thing, yeah. I mean, granted, the Giants certainly could use Odell, Be- Odell Beckham Jr., but the Giants are are not a good team right now. Um, in our point spread rating, uh, if you go to our, our power rankings, the Giants are 26th in the NFL at minus 2.9 behind teams like the Broncos, behind teams like the, the Steelers, the Saints. And they are they are just not a good team right now. Uh, they're, they're much worse than their record indicates. So, like I said, I mean, obviously it would help to have Odell Beckham Jr., but unless he's looking at a signing like that as being, you know, like a two, three, four-year investment, and obviously that would require the Giants to look at it the same way and want to give him a long-term contract, and I, I just think he's so much better off joining a team like the Bills or the Cowboys if there's interest there, uh, which Jerry Jones has made it pretty obvious that there's interest from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I don't know. That, that just seems to make way more sense. But, yeah, I've seen kind of some of the same things where people expect him to, to sign with the Giants. But that would be that seems like it would be an emotional decision there for Odell Beckham Jr., uh, which is certainly still possible. Uh Darnell Mooney out for the season with an ankle injury. Obviously, that's a tough blow uh, for Justin Fields or whoever is starting at quarterback for the rest of the season uh, for the Chicago Bears. Honestly, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I still am of the opinion that the Bears should sit Justin Fields as long as it takes to get that shoulder back up and healthy because at this point, I don't know, without Darnell Mooney, uh, with all the issues that, that you you know talked about earlier with their defense and everything like that, it just doesn't benefit them to put out Justin Fields unless he's 100%. And we saw, you know, everyone's been talking a lot about the whole debate between Fields holding on to the ball too long and his average time to throw being at the top of the NFL. Remember seeing me an average 2.6 time average time to throw yesterday and still was pressured on five of eight true pass block sets when they dropped back to pass. I mean, the offensive line is as bad as it gets in, in terms of pass pro. They are a good run blocking unit. But yeah, I, there is no reason to play him. The Bears now hold the second overall pick, and there are teams, funnily enough, it's going to be the Rams and the Broncos are, are big threats right now. Those picks, of course, would go to different teams than those two teams, but there are a lot of bad football teams that could jump them because the Bears also have a very high strength of schedule. So if it comes down to tiebreakers, they'd actually be in the, on, the, on the bad end of all of those kind of tiebreakers right now if you look at the playoff picture. So then you add in the Mooney injury, Look, Claypool was more involved in this game against the Jets, but it was still like goal line fades or downfield balls. Like I said, one of them, he drew the pass interference, which was a good play by him. He, he beat the defender, had him in his hip pocket, and they had to you know kind of grab him just to stop the, the catch. But then also in the end zone, Sauce Gardner just locked him up, just put the clamps on him and prevented a touchdown there too. So that, that whole spiel is just to say like Mooney was maybe the one guy you could get the ball out pretty quickly to was kind of your security blanket, maybe a little bit of cold commit, but nevertheless, if Justin Fields, Eberflus said head coach, Matt Eberflus, if he's not a hundred percent, he's not going to play. You can argue he's not going to be a hundred percent until, until 2023. Right. So there is probably a path forward where we don't see any more Justin Fields. You've seen enough to be excited about, to build on, and now just hope you pick early and hope you can trade down for a massive haul. Um, if, if a team wants to come up for a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was actually going to say is that this is the year that you really want to have a top pick without the need for a quarterback, because Thing that we probably assume that unless they make a trade, the Houston Texans will probably take a quarterback at number one overall. But then if you want that other guy, if you want, you know, whether it's Bryce Young or CJ Stroud at number two overall, then yeah, the Bears are going to hold a bidding war for that pick. And that really benefits them in the future because who knows, maybe they could pick up a future first or, you know, just compile picks there uh, by trading down from number two overall. And they have so many other needs that they don't necessarily need to reach for whoever the top defensive player is or whoever else they would take there. They can just take whatever comes to them uh, a little bit further down the line. And, yeah, it's a great year for them to have the number two overall pick. And I don't think they, you know, realistically they – or, I don't know, logically they don't want to lose that. I understand that they probably want to win. They want to show some promise over the last five weeks of the season or whatever it is. Uh, but, yeah, that really does not benefit them. Uh, two pieces of news about running backs for the Ravens. J.K. Dobbins' practice window has opened. And for the Jaguars, seems like they dodged the bullet there with Travis Etienne and that he actually could have come back into the game. So don't foresee a long-term issue there for him injury-wise. Yeah, I mean, Dobbins' return cannot come fast enough. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Ravens' running backs this past week and kind of the offense in general. Um, and, yeah, with ETN, it's interesting. He, he, We've talked about – I don't know if we've talked about this, but there's been these things on Twitter, these posts and videos, how he has duck feet and how his feet move at different angles. I think we have talked about this. But, nevertheless, he obviously had the list for an issue that kept him out last year. He had a foot injury earlier this season as well. So they apparently were super cautious, but it's not – connected to the list frank issue it's a different type of sprain or strain or something like that he should be back that offense though and, and trevor lawrence that was that was a statement game for him most big time throws in any game of his career thus far he, he was awesome in, in that win 
Yeah, definitely, especially late in that game. Uh, huge game for, for Trevor Lawrence, who just really does seem to be on an upward trajectory now at this point in the season. Uh, kind of up and down early on, but uh, certainly pointing in the right direction now. Uh, maybe maybe like the biggest piece of NFL news, and it's, what time is it right now? 3.46 p.m. on Monday. Nathaniel Hackett and Cliff Kingsbury are still employed by the Denver Broncos and Arizona Cardinals, respectively. I... If I like if I if I was going to put money on it last night, I probably would have bet that at least one of those guys was going to get fired. Um, you know, especially Nathaniel Hackett, the the Broncos have just looked so incredibly lifeless so far this season. Uh, you know, add that onto the fact that ownership was not uh, in place when he was hired by George Payton, uh, some of the, the mental mistakes that they were making early in the season. And then, I mean, to lose to the Carolina Panthers by 13 points, even though that's in Carolina, how Sam Darnold played the game of his life out there, that's just egregiously bad. And, uh, it, you know, Russell Wilson getting yelled at on the sideline by Mike Purcell. Seems like the locker room is being lost. Like, at this point, I don't really understand what the what the upside or the appeal of keeping Nathaniel Hackett in place is if you're going to fire him after the season anyway. I think that, I don't know, you might just want to get a head start on things and see what Russell Wilson looks like with some other head coach in place. I think you have to. I mean, look, we talk about quarterback and quarterback value and how they can, you know, cover every issue, even if they're not playing well. You have the second highest paid and third highest paid quarterbacks in the entire NFL. And Russell Wilson, number two, they're three and eight. And Kyler Murray, third highest paid, they're four and eight. I mean, you just can't justify an offensive minded head coach, which both of them are in theory being this bad on their side of the ball, too. It's not like if Denver was losing because they were scoring a bunch and the defense, but no, it's the exact opposite. Their defense is still as good as it gets, and they just cannot score at all. Like you said, you're now seeing Mike Purcell screaming at Russell Wilson on the sideline. They tried to downplay that or what it was. You have to because you're not going to move on from either quarterback, so that's the thing. Right. You have to do something to shake things up, to keep the fan base you know, engaged and whatnot, and it's not going to be these quarterbacks. So I'm with you. I'm surprised one of the two was not fired. I would lean towards more likely Hackett. I know yeah. Kingsbury's been in the job for longer, but just signed the extension. Right. You know, all these, all these variables, all these things. If at the end of the season, you know, I think uh, Sean Payton will be making his interest known to a couple of these spots. I know Denver is not on his short list, but maybe they try to make a big play for him. Um, yeah, because th- these guys will not be here much longer, if I had to guess. Yeah, the the Cardinals thing is also interesting because Kyler Murray had the comment after the game um, that, you know, scheme was to blame for his second quarter interception. Uh, when it looked like the play was designed for Trey McBride, he wound up having to throw uh, to DeAndre Hopkins on you know somewhat of a scramble drill, and it wound up getting picked off uh, just because the Chargers had read the play so well. So when Kyler Murray is now publicly calling out the scheme or the play calling in press conferences, then I, I don't know. I mean, heading into the game, there was also reports that they, that Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury had cleared some tension uh, before this week and that things were much better in the building and everything like that. And then you've got Kyler Murray coming after the game to basically call out Cliff Kingsbury. One thing here is that I, I think that Cliff Kingsbury is talking to the media as we're speaking right now. So, you know, I it seems incredibly doubtful that they would fire him after that, but they've got a bye week right now too. Like that's the thing is that like now would have been the time to do it. So 
if they're not going to do it now after you lose to the Chargers and, uh, you know, you've just looked terrible for two weeks now, then I just I don't think that it's going to happen now for the course of the rest of the season. Um, and they actually do have some other guys on that staff. Like they could have Vance Joseph take over. They could have uh, I don't know what other coaches they would have in place to take over. But like they have at least an option there in Vance Joseph and they're not turning into him to at this point. So, yeah, I'd expect that to, to last now to the end of the season. But uh, one thing, one note on the Cardinals that I found very interesting is that I don't want to make excuses for them because, you know, they've got the quarterback, they've got the head coach, like they should be much better than they are right now. Their issues on offense, injury-wise, suspension, all these things, is possibly reaching like historic levels. So their starting offensive line, four of the week one starters are on injured reserve right now. And, and Justin Pugh, who took over at left guard in week two, also on injured reserve. So five of their top six offensive linemen on injured reserve right now. Kyler Murray missed two games due to injury. DeAndre Hopkins missed six games with, with a suspension. Uh, Marquise Brown missed five games with an injury. They have one offensive player in Kelvin Beecham who has played all 12 games. One. On the other side of the field, on defense, they've got like seven or eight. I haven't looked through like every other team, but to have one player 12 games into the season who's played every single game is pretty insane. And like I said, I don't necessarily want to make excuses for them because this isn't – it's – I don't know. This this issue does not exist in a vacuum of the 22, 2022 season. They've had a lot of these issues since Cliff Kingsbury was hired. But this season alone has been an outright disaster for the Cardinals. Yeah, that's that's a crazy stat, obviously. And I think it shows And those two teams and the Raiders, you throw them in there as well. Like when you make these big pushes and want to pay these quarterbacks top dollar, of course, it's, there's opportunity costs. And you have to make some tough decisions. But when you kind of completely neglect a, a unit, which offensive line, I think Denver was more injuries. Arizona, yes, the injuries are there, but the offensive line wasn't great to begin with. Right. Raiders, basically Colt Miller at left tackle and then a bunch of question marks like you can't just blatantly ignore and just hope the quarterback's just going to magically overcome right. this like massive like issue on your team. Last point, just now that we're on this, this soapbox. Look, I think Ajiro Averro also deserves the opportunity to show if he could be a head coach. You mentioned Vance yeah. Joseph, of course, has the experience, a respected defense coordinator. But, you know, I, I talked to someone who worked with a bunch of coaches in the NFL over the course of his time in the NFL. Said the smartest guy he ever worked with was Ajiro Averro. Thought he was like this brilliant football mind. A young guy that I think will be getting head coaching. I mean, he had already head coach interviews this past cycle, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we'll continue to get them. Why not get a jump start if you're Denver and say, hey, can this guy lead a building, lead a team for five, six weeks, and we'll go from there. You know, Russell Wilson wants his offensive coach and all these things, but hey, he had, he had yeah. most of his success with with Pete Carroll. So I would yeah. even just want to see, you know, see what he looks like as a true head coach for the second, you know, the last third of the, of the calendar year. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You know, uh, Giro Rivero came over with a, you know, a lot of acclaim. Uh, a lot of people thought very highly of him. They've got some other coaches on staff who could, you know, maybe not lead, but at least, you know, help along the process if they did fire Nathaniel Hackett. But yeah, I'm just, I'm not totally sure exactly what they're waiting for there in Denver uh, because things have gotten very bad. And I'm losing to the Panthers by 13 points. It, it feels like that's 
rock bottom at this point, but uh, perhaps they have not hit rock bottom quite yet. Uh, let's take a quick break before we get into one up, one down and talk about Monday Night Football tonight. PFF Wire is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. Will you focus on your roster moves? Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's get into one up, one down from the weekend. We give one player up, one player down. I'll let you start things off here. Who is your one up from this weekend's slate of games? Yeah, so mine's a very easy selection. It had to be mentioned. I know we get some comments sometimes when we leave certain players out, but this one, if we left out, I think we wouldn't be doing our jobs. <laughs> that is, of course, Las Vegas Raiders running back Josh Jacobs whose 93.4 rushing grade is the top mark on the season by a full three points, buoyed by 303 total yards from scrimmage in this game, tied for the eighth most all-time for a single game by any player at any position, the fourth most among running backs in the history of organized professional football. We're talking – this list has guys that played in the 1950s and 60s, um, and he is now on it. So just a ridiculous performance. The 86-yard you know, walk-off touchdown in overtime was awesome. He, he carried this team in every way imaginable. Just, just had to get the shout out. A huge benefactor of not getting his fifth-year option picked up. He bounces back. Was questionable to play in this game with a late-week injury to his calf and says, never mind, I'm just going to go break some NFL records. <laughs> Truly incredible performance from Josh Jacobs. Uh, my one-up, it, it really could be like every single or you know the three of the wide receivers from the 2022 rookie class because uh Traylon burks was fantastic again this week uh, making contested catches garrett wilson making plays after the catch picking up yards after catch for mike white uh, but my guy is is uh, someone that i mentioned before christian watson for the green bay packers over 100 yards another touchdown um you know caught a pass from jordan love then just raced right past the basically the entire eagles secondary like his speed is is pretty special. It might not be on that Tyreek Hill level, but to be a guy who's six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds, who runs a four three forty, and who plays like he runs a four three forty when he gets the ball in his hands, it's dangerous. And I mean, this season, Christian Watson certainly had his ups and downs. I uh, dealt with a concussion, dealt with hamstring injuries, dealt with a lot of drops. But right now, he's got twenty two catches on thirty four targets. Six of those 22 catches have gone for touchdowns and five of those 34 targets have been drops. So on a, like on 34 targets, 11 of the outcomes have either been a drop or a touchdown. So that's about as boom or bust as you can get for an NFL player, an NFL wide receiver out there. But you're going to take it if you're the Packers. He'll take the drops uh, when you're getting six touchdowns to go along with it. And the drops do... They are diminishing a little bit as the season goes on. He did have one other one yesterday, but like I said, you'll take it when you've got a six foot six foot four guy who can make contested catches, who can pick up yards after the catch, um, who can run deep route. Like he's he looks like he can be a very special talent in the NFL. Obviously, at some point, the touchdowns are going to drop off. He's not going to have two touchdowns every game or average two touchdowns a game. Uh, but I think that the Packers found something really potentially special in Christian Watson there because he was a guy who came in. People thought that he was a raw prospect, might take him a year or two to actually develop. And one of the reasons for that is 
North Dakota State's offense last year ran the ball nearly twice as much as they passed the ball. It was like 600 rushing plays, 300 passing plays. Like if you look at it, it was like a 66-33 run pass split. So Christian Watson was out there pat, like just run blocking a lot. He wasn't catching passes. Uh, so for him to be doing this this early is definitely notable uh, and a good sign for the Packers. Who is your one down this week? Yeah, well, just real quick, you mentioned him outrunning defenders. Marcus Epps, 22 on the Eagles, a safety, ran a 4 3 7 40, and that's who he just burned on the edge. Yes. Like you say, he's not Tyree Kill, but he's 6'4. I mean, and so he also right. could win those go up and get it balls. So, yeah, he, he's he's a fun player to watch, no question about it. My one down, I mentioned earlier, we're talking about J.K. Dobbins and how badly the Ravens could use him back. Frankly, the entire Ravens pass catching group could be the one down. They had five drops in this game. Everyone loves to blame Lamar Jackson. They lose a, another big multi-score lead late in the game. He scored 15 points That's like in the fourth quarter. Excuse me. He did a lot. He did all he could. It wasn't great, but five drops is going to kill you. And Kenyon Drake, the running back, had one of those drops. He had two carries for two yards. And he allowed a hurry of Lamar Jackson in pass protection. So after a good stretch for him, kind of fell off a cliff there. And, and they could use J.K. Dobbins to do anything, um, catch the ball, run the ball, whatever you can ask in the very near future. Uh, yeah, Lamar Jackson actually, I believe, was our highest graded passer uh, this week. He only won 16 of 32, but like you mentioned, there were five drops in there, three big time throws, zero turnover worthy plays. So, yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson was certainly not the issue there for the Ravens this week. And. Yeah, they probably could have used, you know, two or three different wide receivers this offseason, but then you lose Rashad Bateman. You have to count on guys like Kenyon Drake. Uh, not great. Not a lot of help for Lamar Jackson there. Uh, my one down is another running back, and that's Alvin Kamara. Uh, he only had 13 yards rushing on seven carries, I believe it was, and he had two fumbles, one of which came about as close to the end zone as you can possibly get without scoring a touchdown. Instead, he gets stripped. Saints get shut out by the 49ers. And the Saints are just in a, a terrible like, downspin, right? Now. Like, there's basically, I hate to say this for any Saints fans who are watching or listening, but like, there is very little hope for the future for the New Orleans Saints right now, um, given their salary cap situation, given the fact that they don't have a first-round pick next year. They've got Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston at quarterback. And I wanted to mention Alvin Kamara because it's just illustrating the fact that it, it really didn't make any sense for the Saints to keep Alvin Kamara at the trade deadline because he's probably going to get suspended next season. I'm not sure how long that's going to be for. After that, he's going to be 29 years old. I don't think he's going to be part of a rebuild for the Saints because, you know, like I said, at that point, he's going to be 29. He's getting up there already. He's going to be suspended. Like, this was the time to cash in on any value that you potentially had in Alvin Kamara. I'm not sure what the Saints could have got for him, but you see the package that the Carolina Panthers got for Christian McCaffrey. If they could have even come close to that, then that at least would have helped them in that rebuild for the future. Instead, they're getting shut out by the 49ers. They're not going to win next year either, and you're just holding on to this expensive piece at running back moving forward. Yeah, we've talked about it a bunch, but if they don't get some trade haul for Sean Payton, there's really like no path for them to getting back. And again, yes, they are good drafters over the long haul. The last five or six years, they have been ahead of the curve and been better. But look, historically, teams cannot continue to do that. But their approach of trying to just land four or five players a draft and they've hit a lot. But also Peyton Turner has been a healthy and active for the first half of the right. season. He is playing now, but it just shows like you, there's no guarantee in these early round picks. Trevor Penning about to start playing for the first time this year. I mean, they'll all celebrate Alave, and Alave has been special, leads all rookies in most categories. But 
yeah, it's it's hard to envision them being a competitive football team, you know, next year, the year after, you no know, second round pick in 2024, also going to Philly. It's just it's hard. And I think we, you overestimate or underestimate both Drew Brees, but also Sean Payton, because Dennis Allen, yes, they got shut out. They would have lost the game regardless, but a bunch of careless penalties just disorganized on offense throughout the entire game, which I guess is not his side of the ball. And people, Carmichael has been there for a long time, but that was part of it too. Like, I don't think we realized how much Sean Payton was holding up the fort last year when they were a 500 football team with four different starting quarterbacks, including the likes of Ian book and others. It's scary. It's scary hours in, in New Orleans right now. Yeah, and I think that they're a team that could use uh, you. I don't know you. You hate for a, a head coach to you know lose an opportunity again, like because he didn't have that long of an opportunity with the Raiders either. But I think that that could be a one and done situation for the Saints there because it just hasn't worked to carry over the goodwill that they still have from 2021 and earlier with Sean Payton here with with Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael. Like it just feels like they need that hard reset all around. You know, trade Alvin Kamara, trade Demario Davis, like maybe trade Ryan Vamchak, just like try to get as many pieces as you can heading into next year. But I mean, that goes to my point. They're not going to get the trade value for Alvin Kamara that they could have at midseason this year, next year. So that was a pretty huge missed opportunity. I'm not sure if they still thought that they could compete for the NFC South at that point. You know, things were maybe a little bit closer, but. I don't know. I mean, when you've got Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston at quarterback, when you've had the injuries that you've had this year, it just was not going to work out for them uh, one way or the other. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about tonight's Monday Night Football matchup. So if you're listening in the future, you can tune out now. We'll be talking about Colts, Steelers. Colts are favored by two and a half points. Uh, the point total in this one is 39 and a half. This game is in Pittsburgh. I think we talked about this a little bit last week. I like the Steelers in this game. They've showed a little bit more life recently. They've got J.J. Watt back. I, I still don't think that you can fully uh, predict what the Colts are going to look like with Jeff Saturday as their head coach here. I don't think I don't expect this to be a high-scoring game, so I'd probably take the under and the Steelers uh, if, if I was forced to bet it. So it is in India. I think you may misspoke there. I said it's in Pittsburgh, oh, but yeah, my yeah, bad. Well, that, that changes huge. things a little bit. Oh, but I, I, I still, re- I still probably that. like the Steelers. I probably still like the Steelers, but that d- does change things a little bit there. Yeah, I think being in the dome it changes things a little bit. I, I no. think Pittsburgh has the ability to be more explosive on offense. Pickett has gotten more comfortable now pushing the ball back down the field. But this Colts defense is really, really, really good. I think the under is the smart play. Our lock of the week from this past Wednesday was a teaser, including the Steelers. They're the second leg with the Titans and the Steelers. So hopefully they can bring it home for us. But one thing I like here. So the Steelers quietly have a really, really good run defense. They're ninth now in EPA per rush allowed and fourth in success rate allowed against the run and those numbers have both been better since tj watt has been back matt ryan is going to be running for his life against cam hayward and tj watt with that offensive line the way it's playing right now in indianapolis but i think indy for that reason is going to try to run the ball a ton and keep tj watt at bay kind of limit their pass rush by running a lot but it's not going to be super effective at least based on the steelers success so far this year their safety has been better their linebacker play with miles jack has been better so over 19 and a half carries for Jonathan Taylor in this game because I think he might be inefficient to start, but they keep feeding him because it's as much about not letting Matt Ryan get murdered as it is about actually moving the ball forward. Um, and then also the game script of Pittsburgh's not going to jump out to some big lead that forces them to pass a bunch. They'll be close enough to always keep running. So that's my favorite play in this game tonight. I like that. Um, I, I like 
George Pickens to have a, a relatively big game in here as well. And his receiving total is only, I think it's 40, uh, 42 and a half. Uh, it's possible that he get matched up with Stefan Gilmore and, you know, the Colts cornerbacks in general have been pretty good this season, but and Stefan Gilmore is still giving up yards. He's having a good year, but he's not completely locking down his side of the field. Uh, Isaiah Rogers has also played well for the Colts this season, but um, he's been dealing with some injuries and they haven't actually been putting him out there for every snap. Uh, Kenny Moore has kind of struggled a little bit more in the slot this season. Uh, than a lot of people might you know, expect given his contract situation, given how good he's been in the past. But um, I don't know. Yeah, Kenny Pickett has been looking at Kenny Pickens more recently. He's coming off a 83-yard, one-touchdown performance against the Bengals. Uh, I just think that they're, they're, they're trying to build that chemistry there between Kenny Pickett and, and, um, uh, and George Pickens. And uh, PFF Green Line doesn't love the over, but it does give it you know a, a slight edge there as well. So I take the over on 42 and a half receiving yards for George Pickens. It's fun to root for George Pickens because he's a talented receiver who can make big plays. Uh, so I think that will pretty much do it for today's edition of PFF Wire. We'll be back with you guys again on Wednesday. But anything else to add, Brad, before we get out of here? No, there's a, it's a great week next week. A lot of good games. I think this past week was great. We should be thankful. We got some good football. Uh, there's more to come. It's a fun slate with some big matchups next week. So it's hey, we're getting into you know the, the home stretch here, the, the witching hour of the NFL season. <laughs> yeah, certainly five more weeks or six more weeks to go after this week, um, and we'll talk about this more on Wednesday. But I'll actually, be at the Bills Patriots game on Thursday night. That game's at Gillette Stadium down the street, so might as well go to that game, uh, cover it, write about it. We'll see what happens in that one. But, yeah, lots of good games coming up next week. Uh, Bills-Patriots certainly isn't bad, but then you've also got Jets-Vikings, Commanders-Giants, Titans-Eagles, uh, Dolphins-49ers, Chiefs-Bengals. That Dolphins-49ers game will be really fun, the, uh, the Shanahan-McDaniel matchup. And I know that Vegas loves the 49ers. I know that the 49ers are one of those other teams that ranks top 10 in EPA per play and EPA per play against this season. But I also think that that matchup against the Dolphins will be a really interesting test for them because 49ers have not played many good teams so far this year. Oh, 100%. And Mike McDaniel knows them better than anyone. So for sure, that one's going to be really fun. All right. We'll talk about that more on Friday. But uh, make sure to subscribe to PFF Plus right now. You can use promo code PFF35 for 35% off a subscription. Also download the PFF app on your iPhones. Uh, subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple and Spotify. Those links are down below in the description. Uh, make sure to follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide, and we will be back with you guys again, same place, same time on Wednesday.